0: What's going on, everybody? Back again for another episode of Hockey Talk with Ryan Hawk. Today's guest is one of the NHL's premier player agents, Jerry Johansson. Jerry stopped by to talk about how he got his start in the role, how contract negotiations have changed during COVID, the Sebastian Ajo offer sheet, and more. Make sure to rate and subscribe to this podcast, share it with your friends, and check out the Sports Corporation if you're curious to know who Jerry represents. And now, let's get into some Hockey Talk with Jerry Johansson. Hi guys welcome back to another edition of hockey talk with ryan hawk i'm joined today by the president and ceo of the sports corporation and nhlpa certified agent jerry johansson jerry thanks for coming on no problem ryan how's life uh, for you been the last few months here i mean has it changed your your operations lately or you just kind of business as usual
1: well it's it's pretty different yeah i i travel a lot so i'm probably on the road you know well over 200 days a year so that's not happening and uh and then you know the kids aren't playing hockey much so that's uh, like our junior guys and stuff so it's a little it's different but i'm in the office a lot so i'm getting lots of work done i guess
0: <laughs> yeah i mean the whl they i think they're just about ready to start up i was reading red deer rebels they, they got the guys living in the rink so should be uh should be junior hockey soon hopefully for some of those young guys looks like they're going yeah and i give
1: them a lot of credit they've done a nice job uh you know they've been working hard at it this. It's not easy to get a league running in three different provinces and two different states, and you know. But it looks like they're they're real close to getting the whole thing going.
0: Do you guys represent uh, any guys that are in the, the WHL or CHL right now? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. our bread
1: and butter. Um, we have most of our kids. We're pretty focused in Western Canada. So most of our players, you know, if you look at our wall, um, our pro guys, most of them are from Western Canada. And then we have, you know, good operation in Finland, Sweden and Czech Slovakia. So, but, but our bread and butter is, uh, is Western Canadian players, CHL predominantly, but lots of college players over the years as well.
0: Yeah. What kind of advice have you been given some of these young guys who have been kind of just on hiatus for the last uh, several months here? Well, I think, you
1: know, I guess there's one thing, there's not much we can do about it. Right. So, you know, it's, we're, you know, it's a little above our pay grade usually hockey problems we can solve but this one's a little tough you know um and our young guys I mean they're they're going to be in fine in good shape I mean they're young so you know most of the development of young players frankly comes from them just getting older so they're all training hard and they're you know it's not perfect by any means but once we get back in play I don't think they're going to miss a beat you know there's a couple of age groups that are in in worse shape but uh for our, our best young players they're going to be fine
0: yeah. I mean, let's, uh, let's get into you a little bit. Uh, you, you mentioned before we started recording that you did play some junior hockey. And um, so, I mean, what, what kind of player were you back in the day? Were you a bit of a goal scorer, tough guy, defenseman? What, what? Uh, I what did Jerry played play?
1: hockey like I should probably be an agent, I think. But <laughs> you know. like you're from a small town in Saskatchewan and you get to play hockey and you just keep going because it's what you do. It's not like I had another option. So But uh, it was good. I was, you know, back in the day, you could be a big, slow defenseman. So that was, uh, I perfected that art, I guess. But but yeah, and I played a lot of different, I played junior A. I was drafted by Montreal. I played in U.S. college hockey. I played in New Westminster in in the Western League. I went to UBC for a year, and then I started to coach. So in a weird way, um, I sort of had the experience of every amateur level. You know, I didn't realize it at the time, but it was it's valuable information now, you know, when I yeah. started in this business. So, you know, I wouldn't exactly say my career was glowing, but it was certainly
0: informative. Oh, I'm, I'm right there with you, Jerry. People think I must have been one heck of a player to be hosting a podcast. I go, no, anyone can do this. I, I peaked at 14. So it was it was written in the stars. Um, there you go. You just moved on to your real career. That's all. That's yeah. that's right. At uh, at what point did you start to to consider becoming a player agent?
1: Well, actually, you know what? Honestly, I uh, I had no no plan at all. I uh, I had coached and been a m- uh, manager in the Western Hockey League in Tri Cities. So New Westminster moved to Tri Cities and built a new rink, and I was lucky to be part of that. Um, and then I was probably there for like maybe five or six years, and then they changed in management and. You know, but I got to do a lot at a really young age, and then I was really, you know, looking for something to do. And and uh, my m- one of my my best friend at the time and still is today is Scott Bonner, who uh, works for us, yep. and had been the GM in Vancouver with the Giants forever. But him and I had worked together in Tri Cities, and he just called me up and said, "You need to go meet Rich Winter in Edmonton." And I was like, "As only Scotty could tell you, not a lot of information. Just go do it." You know, so and I learned <laughs> listen to him so. I came up and met with Rich, and he was one of the biggest agents at the time yeah. based in Edmonton, uh, but didn't have any Western Canadian players. Like he just had a bunch of Europeans, like Peter Bondra and Dominic Hashik and we had you know Zdeno Chara at that time and a bunch of guys. So he, you know, he had one of the biggest books in the business, and I didn't really realize it. But after talking to him, I was like, "Well, I know where all these players are. I have yeah. their contact. I know everything about what they're doing." So I really hit the ground running but it was, you know, serendipity. It was just total luck. Like I, you know, and I, I got hired on
0: a Monday and on Tuesday I was on the phone recruiting. (laughs) Yeah. So how did the, how did the sports corporation begin? Was that, was that your project or was that Rich's project? That was Rich's project. Yeah. And he started a number of years before I got here and really it was,
1: he had been bringing players from communist days in Europe. I think Frank Usel might've been one of his first clients. Okay. Yeah. And uh, as the story goes, I think he smuggled him out of Yugoslavia at the time. So yeah, that's really? tell you, how to buy him. But uh, yeah, it was still <laughs> communism, and there was still a country called Yugoslavia. So but, uh, <laughs> that's when players were defecting. And then, yeah. as the you know the rules loosened up, a lot of the Europeans, Eastern Europeans, wanted to come over and play. So we had a you know, you know, I, my first year, I like I said, I you know, you talk about the CHL import draft, you know, the process of bringing players over. I probably, I for sure have put more European players in the CHL than anybody. Yeah. I don't know. I've never done the math, but I would challenge anybody to tell me they placed more. Cause I, I did that. We had so many Czechs and Slovaks coming over. It was crazy. So it was fun. It was a really cool experience.
0: Was that they wanted to come over more so for the hockey or just to escape maybe a bit of a tough situation over there?
1: The hockey. I mean, they just, communism was in the rear view mirror. Mm. But and now the country's like up and running, like it's so advanced. You know, I travel there a lot still. It's re, you know really um, they're more advanced than I'm in a lot of ways. But the hockey here was was better. They yeah. so our our kids came over. They generally never spoke English. They never had a bank account or a credit card or anything like that. So you know, to Rich's credit, he built a really solid operation um, in terms of servicing players, which we still do today. And, um, you know, and I just, over time I ended up buying rich out and, uh, yeah, so, but I inherited a
0: really, a really strong business model. I was really fortunate. Yeah. You mentioned Chara too. I remember he, uh, you know, I was really young at the time, but seeing a picture of him in Prince George. And I, I remember I was thinking like this guy, you know, if he doesn't, I don't know if he spoke English back then either, but that, uh, he would have stuck out in, in PG, like a sore thumb, I'm sure just, uh, <laughs> back
1: in the day too, where, you know, tough guys were a big part of the business big time. So he, yep. I give him credit. Like he came over here. I don't. I don't think there's a lot of fighting in Czech or Slovakia <laughs> where he's from. But uh, yeah. he came over and and uh, he battled it out. He was, but he was one big human. Still is. He's an incredible guy. Like just an athlete and a you know real pro and and it was. But it's kind of neat to look back when I knew him as a young guy. You know, it was pretty fun.
0: Yeah um by my count on your website uh, you guys have 49 pro level clients but uh, you did mention there's offices in europe and, and you guys have future nhlers coming up as well and um offhand do you know how many clients you guys officially have or
1: not really i don't quite know i probably could figure it out but uh you know it's uh it's a it's an evolving you know it's it's a it's ever evolving so we're always talking to a young player and you know then our older players you know like I can say, no matter how good you are in this business, you're you're eventually done at a very young age, you know. So it's uh, you know it's it, it's sort of ever evolving. It's you know, but it's fun. It keeps you on your toes. So we've got guys that are retiring and guys that are, you know, we're recruiting old sevens <laughs> that are are excited to get started. So it's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, well, and, I, and that leads me to my next question because um, you know my younger brother he he'll appreciate this. I don't often compliment him on the show, but he was better than me. And uh, I remember he was uh, I think fourteen playing bantam AAA and had a, an email from a, a you know an agent, and uh, it got me thinking for you know for TSC, what what age group do you guys start to look at a, a young player and think okay you know now it's maybe time to, to jump in here and see if they need representation.
1: Yeah, it's gotten younger and younger, you know, with, with more agents in the business and the communication, obviously, you know, there's a lot more information out there, but the Bantam draft is a big deal for a family. Like, so they're drafting, the Western is drafting kids at 14. So, um, you know, families do need to be prepared for that. And so, so then there's different entry points for clients. So we don't, we get a, a percentage of our guys before the Bantam draft, but you know, we'll add guys, you know, throughout the whole process, even after they're in the league. So, but but the but the bottom draft is a big deal. Basically, you're choosing between the NCAA or the Western Hockey League. And, you know, some of our parents know a fair bit, uh, but, you know, they do need specific advice about what the Western League is about, what the teams are like, you know, all those things that we know so well. So, it's a, I think it's generally, I would say it's really helpful for our families to have good advisors the sooner, the better, I think, generally.
0: Yeah. How do you guys go about that? I mean, I I had uh, Sean Bell on my show. He was my my second guest, and he said back, you know, in in 2000, it was Western League or nothing. Like, there was no talk of college hockey. You know, nowadays, it seems like more and more guys are are really choosing NCAA over Major Junior in some cases. Like, how do you go through that process and, and, you know, make that decision with the family or with the player? Um, on which route would be better
1: yeah i think th- generally the, the trick is to allow the family to tell you what they want to do even though they don't know and so it's a it's a process you try not to jump too far ahead of it you know you sort of play it the tricky part is the western league can talk to you early and they're pretty compelling. they have a, make a pretty compelling case to play in red deer or edmonton or vancouver or swift burn um so it's hard to say no to them And the, and the education packages they offer are really good so for the best players, it's it's really a compelling option for them. Uh, a lot of our college guys, not always, but they sort of miss that that bantam draft stage. Like Colton Prakel, you know, who's an yeah. unbelievable pro. But as I hear the story, I don't know if it's true, but he was almost too small when he was in the bantam draft, <laughs> and then he grew foot. Like he's six six, the guy's a, a yeah. you know, man mouth, right? But. So I mean, and that's the thing with the kids. It's you know, if you're five ten in the Bannon draft, you're big, yeah. right? And uh, and so you know, Milan Lucic or Scotty Upshaw, or it just keeps going on. Uh, you know, Johnny Ludwig, who you know, the captain of Portland, who's doing great. You know, in the Florida organization, you just never know because the development for these kids is is always going. You know, and it never stops. So it's we're just keeping our eye on the market all the time, and uh, whether we're watching our players or whether we're keeping an eye on potential clients we're sort of we're watching all the time
0: yeah something you said there it makes it sound almost like the physical development although you can't predict it um but maybe that might i I mean i bring it up because i remember you know my my bantam draft year so to speak jared cowan was uh first overall that year and i remember he was already you know full beard six foot four you know uh and but Landon Ferraro was the second overall pick and I played against Landon growing up and he was five six maybe <laughs> and uh and you know maybe could have gone the major junior or sorry I uh, could have gone college but so I mean when you're you mentioned Pareko as an obvious example too I mean obviously yeah it's hard to imagine that guy was ever too small but uh do you kind of just look at maybe like the dad and you go okay this guy's got potential to be six two six three maybe we we pump him into major junior or
1: yeah. Well, you try to be patient. Like, I, I think that's one thing I've learned is be patient with these young guys Their development curve because you never know. I always say you never underestimate a player's upside. You know, everybody's going to play in the National Hockey League. It's a great process to go through because there's not a lot of downside. You know, you're competitive. You, get, you generally will get your education one way or the other. You know, you're disciplined. You're a good teammate. You know, so you get some pretty good life skills at a young age. But in terms of our pro guys, I'm never surprised when they make it. But you you ne- no matter how good they are, you don't want to pin that on them either. You want to let them grow into it. And yeah. like the guys, I watched Sean Bell, Jared Cowan, uh, Landon Ferraro, all those kids for forever. They're not kids anymore, but they were at one time. So you know, and 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 that's the other issue is that you know you're you're sort of evaluating boys, and it's a man's game. So how they transition into that is always it's sort of a fun process to watch and be part of yeah
0: I want to talk about the the pro game too so I mean you know as a player agent for the uh, the NHL, uh, what does the job entail aside from contract stuff you know are you I mean with endorsements for instance, are you actively looking or do you have a, a client who who maybe has uh, some connections a company comes to you and says, hey we want you know Carrie price to be the face of our line or something like that
1: Yeah we got fingers in every pie man it's like yeah. Uh, so yeah we I mean in hockey it largely depends on the market you're in. So if you're in Montreal or Toronto I mean there's lots of opportunities you know if you're in Columbus or Carolina it's not as it's not as much but but we do big deals small deals we do some of our guys are interested in that stuff some of them aren't so so okay. it, it generally always comes back to the client you know some of our guys like to do more off the ice and a lot of them don't they just want to play hockey so you really have to respect how your client is and then kind of go from there but yeah we've been doing this a long time so we've got lots of good uh, professionals, we work with companies, we work with uh, you know we sort of know all the usual suspects are out there, and uh, so we're working all the angles.
0: Yeah, with the the current financial climate in the NHL, we're looking at a flat cap and everything. Um, you know, for instance, I'm a, I'm a Capitals fan. I was very happy to see Braden Holtby come to Vancouver, but I was surprised to see it be for for what it was. You know, he was a you know Vesno winning cup winning goalie. I figured all oh, the Canucks are going to have to pay a bunch. How have you as an agent had to kind of manage this climate knowing that we're not going to see, you know, huge revenue spikes in the next couple of years here?
1: Yeah, it's tricky. I mean, I, and it wasn't on our agenda. We weren't going, Oh, by the way, there's going to be a pandemic. We better be prepared. So we're like everybody else. It kind of caught us by surprise, but but we've had other influences similar to that in terms of our business model. Like we've been locked out a number of times, uh, one, you know, in 04 obviously for the year, uh, you know, we've had CBA changes, Uh, So our job is to work, we got to stay like two or three steps ahead of our guys and make sure they understand the situation they're in. And our guys are great, but it really is us us learning about the new realities that we deal with and then educating our clients. And, And that's really the trick. I think that's what we generally do, even with our young players. We're, you know, we're trying to understand the market get a grasp of it and whatever that means and then make sure that our family our players have good information so they can make decisions because ultimately it's up to them to say yes or no to a contract or yes or no to go into the western hockey league or whatever so the more we we can understand it the better we inform them the more you know empowered they are to make the right decisions
0: yeah and uh i saw that one of your your best clients is uh, one of the best young players in the NHL Sebastian Ajo and, and I wanted to ask you and I appreciate you might not be able to get into it too much but you know he signs that offer sheet with Montreal and uh, you know it was kind of a we knew Carolina was going to match but you know what's the the process that goes into that because and I only ask because uh, Matt Barzell kind of went this offseason not being signed and it seemed like people think that a team can just see an unsigned RFA and go we're going to take them and and I think people have to also remember that the player has to agree to uh, an offer sheet but what what does that process look like and as a you know as an agent are you kind of you know explaining the pros and cons to the the player as well and and trying to guide him on you know what this might mean if if it does get matched
1: yeah a hundred percent and and I mean we really don't go looking for offer sheets they're they're really hard I've done a couple of them over the years, but like very few and so you don't you never go in thinking, oh we're going to get an offer sheet but you know, so we spend, uh, I would say 99% of our time working with the team trying to get done. That's always the goal, but teams, it's a rule book for the clubs, right? If you, there's an RFA another team can sign you. And, uh, so you don't expect that, but you know, if the team feels like that's what they want to do, like Montreal did, you know, what are you going to do? Right. But, uh, you know, and then, and then at that point, explaining what that means to your player and, you know, how it works. Cause it, it doesn't happen very often. So the players are generally familiar with the sort of the ABCs of the business, you know, but these offer sheets are something that's a little off the charts. There's other things too, but so we take a little extra time with that. But, uh, but yeah, at the end of the day, he stayed in Carolina and he's playing great.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Carolina is like that sneaky, uh, sleeper team in that division, I think to, to maybe make a run. Um, why do you think there are there aren't too many offer sheets is that you know I remember Brian Burke saying that's just you do that you burn the entire league potentially any any trade partners but I mean do you think it's also the you know like I saw Sergachev for instance in, in Tampa I thought well he's why would he leave you know he's he just won a cop he's probably living loving the life in Tampa um, do you think that there's just a lot of the players are just comfortable where they are and they, they don't think to to move or well, it's really up to the team, right?
1: So it's more about the team, what they're, like, you know, one thing I could respect about GMs is a hard job. Yeah. I mean, they get, they get analyzed, as you see in Vancouver or here in Edmonton. <laughs> and these guys, every move is, and every move they make is analyzed, and every move they didn't make is analyzed. I, You know, they got a really hard job. So if you're Jim Benning or, or Ken Holland, or you know Brad Tree living in Calgary, or Chevy in Winnipeg. It's not so maybe not so bad in Tampa or in you know Arizona, yeah. but in Canada it's like uh, you know. And God bless the fans. Everybody's got an opinion I love it, but uh, but it's hard. I mean, it's hard to build a team, and um, I mean you do your best, and and but an offer sheet is just one of the things that, it, that you can use. And I think generally teams, it's not their first choice. Yeah. I don't think a team goes. Let's go off sheet a guy, but the, we had Dustin Penner, who Ebbington yeah. off sheeted out of uh, uh, Anaheim, and uh, that just worked because they were it was they had a cap situation and and they couldn't match it. They just couldn't, you know. So, you know, it it it's rare um, and it's in the playbook, but it's like a trick playing football. You know, it doesn't yeah. happen very often, <laughs> you know? and a lot of times it doesn't work. So I think that's sometimes why people are not so
0: eager to do it. I'm shocked that you think Canadian media can be a little bit harsh at times on uh, some of the GMs.
1: (laughs) It's a little while. You know what? It's fun though, too. I mean, they understand it. I think if the best GMs understand it's part of the excitement and part of the, I mean, the opposite would be nobody would care. So, and I, I'm sort of neutral uh, when it comes to teams. Right. But I live in Edmonton. So all my beer drinking buddies are Euler fans. So I hear it all the time too. I'm like, wow. You know, so, (laughs) you know, the talk shows and, and and there's a lot of smart people out there, you know, but when you're sitting in the chair making decisions, there's a reality that you can't, even us, we're in the business. I don't pretend to think I understand the reality of what's going on no. with the general manager. I mean, there's a lot happening inside that room that nobody's privy to outside of it. So it's a tough job.
0: As a player agent, um, you know, how do you balance the relationships with a GM? Cause I can't imagine it helps if you're going in there, guns blazing on a guy who you're trying to get you know the the best deal for your client but you also don't want to go in there and and you know get used as a doormat so i mean you know what, what's the, what's the balance that you find uh you know the, the line you have to walk there
1: well i think the key to that is making sure like generally before we start a negotiation we are 95 percent sure we know the team situation regarding that player like maybe 90 maybe not 95 but you know We we, our job is before we start negotiating, you know, you sort of want to know the other team's situation because that eliminates a lot of problems. So they're telling us, like this year, we don't have any money. They actually don't have any money. We know that. (laughs) It's not like they're just making it up, you know. So, you know, and we we know their depth charts pretty well. We know which contracts they have up, which players they probably are going to want to sign. We don't know a lot about trades but we you know we sometimes know who a guy's going to move or you know what how they could work a player in so the more you know about your other you know the the team situation you can get to third base pretty quick and then from there it's it's really about involving your player in as well so you know they're you know because every player has a different you know personality and a different you know goals and and money's a part of that so you know like I always say the best deal isn't necessarily the most money the best yeah. deal is the best deal and that's for the player to decide and so we're also very respectful that some players are happy where they are they want to stay so if they take a little less they're happy or vice versa maybe they want a new adventure and they want to you know uh, push it a little bit, or whatever. So you know, understanding the team, and then also understanding your players' goals. So we're kind of like the middleman. So now, what well, we are the middleman, and 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 <laughs> if we understand both sides. You're you're already close to a deal before you even get started.
0: You, well, I'm I'm going to use a couple of your clients as as examples here. Uh, but you know, Kerry Price, for instance, you represent him. I mean, he's best goalie of his era um he's a he's a guy that he's one of the few guys I'm sure that you know the team is actually like well (laughs) we don't really have much leverage here uh but on the flip side you also represent Braden Point and you know he's an RFA um and uh I was just curious what the you know if there's any difference in the contract negotiations when you have a guy like Carey Price for instance who uh you know 29 other teams want him or 30 other teams now um, versus Braden Point, who, you know, his rights are restricted and, and uh, it's not going to be easy for him to leave if he wanted to. Do you find that there's a difference in the negotiations?
1: Um, you know what? I mean, I would say this. Every negotiation is different, for sure. But they're also very similar, you know, because of what I just talked about. As long as your your player understands where you are and we, we we're trying to figure out what his goal is internally – And where the team is and what they can do, you know, as long as you have, and that takes a lot of time. That's probably the most work we do. Um, And then, then you're generally pretty close and then really it's up to the player. It's his contract. Like I tell guys all the time, I do lots of contracts. This is your contract. So you have to be happy, whatever that means, you know? And so, and in Kerry's case, I mean, I think by the time we did his last deal, I think he'd done probably three or four, no, maybe not four, but I think three other deals. Yeah. Before that, he had had experience where now with some of the best young guys, the money is shifting down to a younger age. You know, in the old days, guys got paid in their thirties. That was just the way it was. So if you were a 23 year old superstar, they ground you out, you know, it was like tough. And then when you got 29, 30, 31, you got paid. And now that, and that, and the money always shifts over the years, you know, so now it's shifted down a bit it's a different pressure point uh, for the team's different pressure point for us for the player so it's just it's just a little bit of a you know the landscape changes but the the strategies that we use basically are the same
0: yeah it was ufa uh, i think now it's 26 but what did it used to be like 31 that a guy could officially be a ufa or something like, something like, like that I back in the day you never get <laughs> yeah. to UFA. You know, it's it, it changed a lot i'd have to go back one day we just live it every
1: day so sometimes i think that yeah. i can't really remember but but yeah it's really changed you know and and rightly so the game's gotten faster i mean i'm yeah. younger uh the rule changes it you know it's all about speed and energy and you know in the old days you know with size and and it was you know there's a, just a different rule book so but the, yeah and, and I think it's exciting hockey I wouldn't change it for the world I think it's you know unbelievable but the young players are the best young guys are getting paid more plus you have a hard cap plus you have a flat cap so you know <laughs> it's kind of you know just what we think we have figured out they change something and we got to go back to the, back to the drawing board so,
0: yeah it's only a couple that, more that get, years of the yeah, only a couple more years of the flat cap, and then we'll we'll be back to. I think they yeah, got new new TV deals and stuff like that are in the next couple of years. So yeah, and the league's done a
1: great job, like pulling off the playoffs and this year. Like you got to give them credit. They you know I can't even imagine uh, how busy the guys at the NHL are, and and even the GMs like you know dealing with they have like just like we get a new rule book, but so do they. <laughs> you know, so we're both sometimes we're on the phone, like, do you know what's going on? We're like, no, you know what's going on. So we're on the same page, neither of us know what's happening. So. But, uh, but, and you want to, and in, in this business too, like, I do really respect how hard it is to run a team, and I have a lot of respect for the guys that do it. Um, and so, you know. I think there's an element of uh, appreciation for what they're trying to accomplish. And, and it's a repeat business. You're dealing with teams on a regular basis. So we try to have a really good rapport with the clubs it's good for our player. If we do, and it uh, doesn't mean we don't disagree. And sometimes we get into a fight or whatever, a little fight, and you know, it never lasts long. So, but it's a competitive business, just like the players, you know, every once in a while, it gets a little rough. So does our business. And that's just the yeah. way it is. But you know if you're going to be in the business you got to have a short memory so you yeah, move on <laughs> get on with it
0: so yeah have you ever had a client uh, sign a big ticket and do the the jerry Maguire uh, scene at all does that ever come up
1: Johnny Boychuk signed a jersey. I don't have a lot of memorabilia, like I just we give it away most of the time. But Johnny signed a jersey for me the other day, a couple months ago, and he said, "Thanks for showing me the money." So (laughs) I it's in my office. It's hanging up there. I'm pretty proud of that one. So Uh, I've known Johnny since he was probably 12 years old because we had his older brother. So I mean, literally, I've known Johnny his whole life. So it's pretty cool to you know to be part of his whole career and just an awesome guy. So Yeah. yeah. You thank me for showing him the money, so that's my Jerry Maguire moment. <laughs>
0: there you go, there you go. Um, th- does the agency facilitate any relationships between uh, between players? Uh, you know, for instance, I see Kirby Doc, young guy on the Blackhawks, but you also represent Brent Seabrook as well. And and do you leave the big brother little brother dynamic to the team to say, hey, you know, let Chicago kind of formulate that relationship, or you know, Kirby gets drafted by Chicago, or you calling Brent and going, hey you know, can you just kind of look after this kid, teach him what it means to be a pro?
1: hundred percent. We're involved in that. Yeah. yeah. We have our, even with our young guys and we we're like our own team. So yeah. I don't really want my two guys fighting on the ice. So I'm always, you know, I got, <laughs> cause I'm not really cheering for anybody. I'm just cheering for my guys. Yeah. So we try to create this. So most of our guys know um, who our players are. And uh, so Kirby lived at Brent's house his first year yeah. in uh, Chicago and, uh, and you know, I think if you ask Kirby, Brent's the best mentor you could possibly have. Like, the guy is just an unbelievable guy and just an unbelievable pro. But, yeah, selfishly, we kind of want our guys to be. It's Team TSC, so we have our own thing, <laughs> our own hats and everything. So, you know, but it's, uh, you know, and I think the players generally get along pretty well together anyway. Like, there's yeah. a, like they're, they're competing against each other, but they, as I always say, they have more in common as a group. Yeah then they don't. I mean, they're all trying to win and they're trying to beat the other guy. But once that, uh, the game's over, they get along pretty well. There's a really healthy respect for the other professionals, you know, sort of uh, between the players, It's, it's pretty cool.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, agents, usually they're pretty quiet publicly, although, you know, once in a while we see a graphic depiction of a, a player getting impaled by a sword with the coach's name on it. But, uh, how do you handle situations uh, where a guy maybe shares some frustrations about whether it's playing time or, or whatever? Do you kind of just let them know this is all a part of it or, or do you have to maybe step in at times? Well,
1: it's, you know, I mean, we are really private. We try to be as private as possible. I mean, everybody. I think every agent does it a little bit differently and good, good for them. I, we're, we're, we keep our cards because we're representing our players. It's really personal. So we try to keep that stuff quiet. Um, And you want to build trust with teams too, because they tell you things, you know, and we tell them things that, you know, that's important to uh, making this business work and confidentiality is a big part of that. Um, But yeah, I mean, uh, I guess the basic foundation of this business is you're going to have problems. Like you don't like our guys that are so successful on paper. When we when I think about it, we've gone through lots of stuff, like you know. And but on paper, they couldn't be more. They've won Stanley Cups. Probably going to be in the Hall of Fame. Made millions of dollars. But when you look at it, you go it wasn't easy, yeah. you know. And that's probably the characteristic that you know we look for in our young players is just that ability to deal with it and to handle it, and because you have to have that toughness. And not everybody does, and that's a fact. But our our pro guys are they're all different how they handle it, but they're pretty resilient guys. And uh, you're not gonna you know it's I can't imagine a more competitive business in pro sports. So you got to be able to take a punch, like figuratively, <laughs> handled early. <you> know? <laughs> yeah. And our best players they are good at that. You know they get frustrated and they have problems, but but they're they just have a way to deal with it, and, and so that's
0: important. I mean, we just saw the last couple of months the the Dubois and Line A saga, and I think people tend to forget like it's it's probably no different than in any other job. I mean, I've had jobs where you go in, your boss is on your case about something, and you don't like it. Right? It's obviously it's a bit different, uh, you know, schedule wise and, and salary wise for sure. But um, I I don't know. I don't I don't necessarily blame players when they get a little bit outspoken and, and they go, I'm just, cause we also, like you said, we don't see that, right. It could have been months in the making and finally the guy just snaps and he just mouths off to the media. But, um, you no, know, I'm, I'm always very fascinated when I see some of these, these players and they just kind of hit their wall and I go Yeah. Well, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, yeah and, I, and that's the other thing too, you know, like I've had situations that people will comment on, but they don't really know the backstory. How can you, you know? And so yeah. I would never pretend to know, what went on with Patrick Line or, or or you know, Pierre-Luc Dubois. You know what I mean? Because with our players in those situations, there's a lot of backstory. And so, you want to – I mean, it's good for fans and media to evaluate it <laughs> for what they know. But I just happen to know there's usually a lot more that's gone on. So, it's really – you know, when I see situations like that, I'm just like, you know, what do you do? Like, I really don't have an opinion because unless you're part of that whole process and how you got to where you got to and why – and all those things you know it's hard to it's hard to put a finger on what's going on but uh but yeah like any you know most of our players are pretty happy where they are but not always
0: yeah how much of uh like dealing with the media you know i had a- andy sutton on the show and he had that famous clip uh, asking the media guy are you an expert so you're an expert you know that kind of thing and um when you see i mean in and again, I appreciate you, maybe you can't go into this too much, but I'm thinking like, for instance, Toronto last night, they lose, uh, you know, Ottawa comes back 5-1 and they win. And I, I wake up today and obviously the Eastern media has already got their stories written and I'm eating breakfast, just reading these guys just tearing into the Leafs and, you know, Dubas has to go and this guy needs to be traded. And, and um, you know, as an agent, you maybe at times, find it a little bit tough to, to kind of bite your tongue or like, how does that all play out for you when you see one of your clients just getting shredded and maybe, maybe unfairly too. I mean, a lot of cases, I think a guy can have a bad game, but you know, especially out here in Vancouver, it's uh, it's, it's, it's ruthless.
1: Yeah. Well, and I mean, again, it is tough in, in Canada and some of the, some of the bigger hockey markets in the States, but again, the opposite would be nobody cares. Right. So you're sort of, you know, at least they care. But I mean, generally speaking, you know, those situations pass. And, you know, and like our guys, we te- we talk about it all the time. You know, you can only control what you can control. And, you know, you do get frustrated and you do have bad games. It's part of it. I've never had a player not have a bad game. That's yeah. consistent. You know, they, the best players have a lot more good games than bad games, but, you know, it ebbs and flows. And, and I think when the guys are in the room together, they all know that. So I think they have a pretty good support network in that room. And to be fair, the media is just doing their job and everybody's trying to get whatever you call it, a tweet or a hit or a thump and a follower or something. So, you know, I guess there's the odd guy that gets a little dramatic, but, you know, I mean, these guys are pros, and that doesn't mean it doesn't frustrate them and yeah. it doesn't mean that, you know, they don't call guys out once in a while, which I think is kind of funny too. I think that's kind of, yeah. cool. you know, Hey, whatever it's a contact sport. So if you want to dish it out, you better be prepared to take it. So, but generally, you know, we keep our head down with the media. We, we read some stuff, but you know, it's uh, and they have a tough job to do too. Right. Like they're, they're, you know, they're trying to sell newspapers or whatever they're doing these days, <laughs> but uh, you know, but yeah, there is a, it can get a little in the big markets, it can get a little, a little rough.
0: Well, and that makes me think too. I remember Jerome McGinley talking about um, playing, like his you know first couple of years in Calgary, and I can't remember who the veteran was on the team, but he was reading in the paper something negative, and one of the vets came by and literally snatched the paper out of his hand, said like, "Don't read the paper," you know that kind of thing. And in today's day and age, kids are glued to their cell. I mean, I got a six year old nephew trying to buy an iPhone five for some reason, and and he's obsessed with technology. But I think if I'm whether I'm 16 years old, a, a WHL rookie, or I'm 19 years old, I'm in the NHL, and, and you're, you're glued to your phone and you're seeing this kind of stuff, it's harder to get away from. So, you know, as, as, as you know, the agent and the, the advisor there, are you telling them, like, hey, just, you know, maybe keep some of these apps off your phone, like, you know, Sportsnet app? and
1: Yeah, the biggest problem, I mean, I, you make a good point, Ryan, because the biggest, when I started, the biggest issue generally was there was no information. So we are the information provider. So we'd meet with people, we'd tell them, oh, this is happening, this is what's going on, this is how it works. They're like, oh, now it's funny, If there's too much information. Like yeah. everybody's an expert. Generally, everything in hockey is a business. Every hockey tournament, every academy, every team, every trainer, everything, which is fine. But there's just so much going on. So we, our role has sort of changed from, you know, information provider to sort of like an information filter. You know, and so we work with that with our young players because our younger guys are more sensitive to it, like the draft rankings and stuff that our pro guys look back and, you know, they they went through it, too. But like the Bantam draft ranking or where you got picked in the Bantam draft, you know, it, it's important at the time. Don't get me wrong. But our, our we're big picture guys like you're trying to play in the National Hockey League. So generally our pros, by the time they get there, have experienced this enough they can handle it and every once in a while someone crosses a line and it, it it and rightly so it's a bigger issue but most of our guys are pretty prepared for that by the time they get you know into into their early 20s at least
0: yeah yeah I, I remember the bantam draft I think they some teams can just skip their picks too I never really understood that but I remember thinking like you know back when I, I felt I was gonna play pro and then a couple of guys ruined that for me i but, you know, I remember I remember thinking, like, maybe I'll get drafted and that didn't happen. But you, you see so many stories of guys that they get passed over, they get walk on to the, some junior team and then all of a sudden they go, you know, first round in the NHL. So it's uh, it's good to see that that you guys are there to, to kind of help them understand like it, it not everything's going to be the, the Connor McDavid. You're going to go first, 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 first overall all the way through.
1: Well, there's a lot of false positives out there, like, you know, like. The Bantam draft can can be a false positive, you know. Just because you got yeah. drafted high doesn't necessarily mean you're good or going to be a pro. And our in our in part of what we are there, we're trying to focus on the biggest picture, so it keeps things in the short term in perspective. But it is, and it's exciting for the families, and it is. We get excited about it too. Like we, I mean, naturally, we're kind of happier when our player gets drafted higher. You know, yeah. half the guys on our wall, Ryan, came sort of in an unorthodox way. Like Brendan Gallagher, I think was a ninth round pick. Milan Lucic wasn't drafted, Golden Prego wasn't drafted, you know. So, you know, and we got and then I've had lots of players over the years that were really good that never really played, you know. So you realize the biggest thing with the kids, I think, is that at some point talent has nothing to do with it. Yeah. There's the odd freak like Connor McDavid, who's just really good. There's Sidney Crosby. Yeah. Like, those guys are just, you know, unbelievable. But, you know, at some point, everybody's good. You know, like, I don't care what name a player in the national hockey that's playing. They're good. Now, they might get critiqued. But trust me, it's hard to get there. So, you know, talent is sort of like the ante to a poker game. But then it becomes about your character and about your drive and about your ability to deal with issues. And, you know, and that's really the the trick, you know, because, like I said, it's uh, there's lots of guys who can skate and handle the puck and mm-hmm. score goals. But... You know, can you handle the process? That's yeah. the trick.
0: Yeah. What advice would you you give somebody who's looking to break into the role of a player agent?
1: I get a lot of that actually, a lot of questions, and I, you know, I'm I'm a big fan of our business. Like, I think it's really important. Um, you know, and I encourage like the more and there's more agents coming into business all the time, and I think it's great. Um, you know, we're sort of a self policing business like you know if, if guys aren't doing a good job usually the big fish come over and pull them down so uh but I started out with nothing and you know it worked out and I just think you just got to be involved in hockey and you have to sort of the things we talked about you know you really have to be player centric you really understand your player and and at best you can understand the process you know because if you if you got those two things down um you know it's but it's a hard it's in some ways it's an easy business to get into. You can just be a sports agent tomorrow if you want. Um, but it's a hard business to stay in. Like it's, it it's a long, it's a long haul. Um, and, uh, but yeah, it's, it's,
0: it's pretty rewarding. Yeah. Um, well, Jerry, it's been awesome to chat with you and kind of, you know, get inside the mind of a player agent. Um, where can people keep up to date with TSC? Well, we, I'm not big on
1: our, we have a company, we're on Twitter and we're on Instagram. So, uh, yeah, we're a little slow to the party on that. I, part of my fault. I don't, I'm not on Twitter at all. I probably would get myself in trouble. So I just shut up. But, uh, (laughs) but yeah, we have, uh, on our Instagram and our website and stuff like that. So we, uh, we try to keep it up. We got a great guy from Vancouver, actually, Dixon Leong, he's doing great. So he's running our Twitter and, uh, and our uh, Instagram, and so it's. Uh, I got a lot of people calling me and say, "Hey, your Instagrams going again?" Oh, yeah, perfect. <laughs> <So> <laughs> News to me. Yep. Doing
0: a Job on that. So. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I, I, I'll I'll plug those in when this episode comes out as uh, as well. But um, again, I just want to say thank you because I know you're you're a busy man. For those that don't know, Jerry emailed me back at four o'clock in the morning his time. So uh, life of an agent, I guess you just don't sleep Up early. Yeah.
1: Well, thank you for <laughs> having me on.
0: This is awesome. Thanks, Jerry. Take care. Thanks again to Jerry Johansson for coming on the show. And as always, guys, make sure to rate, subscribe, and share the podcast if you liked what you heard. Tune in next week for another episode of Hockey Talk.